Good morning, church. Before I begin the message, can you all do me a favor? Can everybody just quickly just stand up one minute? Because we've been sitting continuously the last... Everybody, just quickly stand up. You want to stretch yourself, you know? Just lift your hand up. Everybody raise your hand up. Put your hand down. Shake somebody's hand sitting next to you. Smile. Okay, now you can all sit down. What a joy for us to be in God's presence again. And uh, a joy to worship God and also a great joy to listen to God's word. Um, We read from Jonah chapter 4 and I request all of you for the next few minutes to pay careful attention to what I have to tell you from God's word. I also want to request that nobody stand by the door. It's only mothers with babies who can go out. The rest of you singles, please sit here and listen very carefully to what I have to tell you from God's word. But before I begin my message, there's a small story that I want to share with you. Probably it's a story that you've heard before and if I'm repeating this, then I Ask your apology. But apparently there is a story told about this this lion in the jungle. A very proud lion. He was so proud thinking that there was no other lion like him. That he was the only greatest lion that was ever created on the face of this world. One fine day the pride that was there in him swelled so much. He came out of his den and he walked down and he said. I am the greatest king that is there in this jungle. And as he walked he saw a zebra. And he screamed at the zebra and he said. Hey zebra come here. Tell me who is the greatest king of this jungle. The zebra, he uh, looked at the lion and then he said, Oh king, there is no one greater than you. And he said, that's right, you may go. He continued to walk and he saw a giraffe with a very long neck. And he looked at the giraffe and he said, Giraffe, I command you, tell me, who is the greatest king of this jungle? And then this giraffe, he looked at this lion and he said, Oh king, there is no greater king than you. That's right, you can go on your way. As he was walking, he saw a huge, a big, massive elephant. And this elephant was busy, was busy pushing a rock. So he, he tapped on the shoulder of this elephant. He said, Elephant, I want you to tell me, who is the greatest king of this jungle? Now the elephant was already very angry because he was pushing this rock. So with his trunk, he caught the lion by his tail. He rotated him in the air three, four times and he let him go. And this lion goes crashing on all the coconut trees and he falls down. He hits his head on a rock and there's blood starting to flow from his head. He slowly gets up, he dusts himself, he walks back to the elephant and he says, if you don't know the answer, you can just say, but why are you getting angry? (laughs) You know, sometimes you and I think life is very unfair, right? I'm sure if you ask Ben and Daniel right now, they would tell you the same thing. Why do we need to uproot ourselves from this place where we've been here for the last nine years and go to a different place? It's just not fair. You know, many times you look at your own Christian life, you would also say the same thing. Why is life so unfair? You know, the portion of scripture that we read right now, if you were to ask this one prophet the same question, he would tell you the same thing. I just feel right now that life is so unfair. Isn't it true as Christians, many a times we desire life to be in a particular way. We desire things to go in a particular way. And when things don't go the way you and I want it to go, we immediately point fingers at God. And we say, why is life so unfair. That's the reason why I thought we would look at Jonah and chapter 4. We would look at the life of this prophet as he comes to a close to his ministry in this book. And we would look at how God treats our very own life. And how we can believe that God has a plan even when we know that life can be very much pretty unfair. Now let me tell you something about the author of this book. Before we go into this passage that we read, we know that this book is talking about this prophet Jonah. 
Now the name Jonah in the Hebrew language, it means dove. And it is so amazing, right? A dove is a symbol for? For peace. And you see here, this prophet, who is supposed to bring the message of peace, he's running the opposite direction. Amazing. Really funny, isn't it? His name actually meant peace. Now he was from a place called Gad Hefer. He was from a place called Gad Hefer. And interesting to note, the story of Jonah did not begin in this book. He appeared much, much even before this. Did you know that? Now if you turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, we'll read one verse from that passage. 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25. And can somebody read that passage for me? 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25. Loudly. Okay. 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 Huh? Huh? So you see that the story of Jonah actually begins here. This is where we actually see him for the very first time. And at this passage, it's Jeroboam the second who's ruling. So Jonah's ministry actually was there or began at the reign of King Jeroboam the second. That means the story that is mentioned in the book of Jonah is almost happening at this exact same time in the book of 2 Kings. Interesting, isn't it? It doesn't happen somewhere in the minor prophets. It's actually beginning over here. Jonah was a prophet that reigned, uh, that, that, that ministered during the reign of Jeroboam the second. And all that is mentioned in this book is happening exactly at this time. This is how much we know about this prophet. Now let me tell you something about the place that he is going to. Which is the place that God sent this prophet to go preach the gospel to? Nineveh. The great city of Nineveh. And do you know what is the history of the city of Nineveh? Interesting. Turn with me to the book of Genesis. Chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. And I like to read from verse 8 onwards. Genesis chapter 10 and verse 8. Now listen very carefully. Genesis 10 and verse 8. Cush was the father of Nimrod who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad and Kalna in Sinar. From that land he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur and Kala. You see what it says here? Here you see the history of this place called Nineveh. Nineveh was built by a man called Nimrod. Now what does the Bible say? Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now when you and I read this line, we might think he was a great warrior. Yes, he was. We might think that he was a great warrior of the Lord. That is not true. Because in the Hebrew language, when it says mighty hunter before the Lord, it's used in a negative sense. He was a mighty hunter who was against the Lord is what the Hebrew text actually says. Nimrod in fact was a rebel. And Nimrod was a person who led, who led a great rebellion against the Lord. A mighty hunter who led a great rebellion against the Lord. And he built a lot of great cities. If he was a rebel, you can imagine the city. You can imagine the people living in the city. If he was a rebel, I'm sure he taught the people to rebel against God. And out of all the places that is mentioned there, we see Babylon. Do you know Babylon? A big city that rebelled against God. And along with all the great cities, you see the city of Nineveh. 
So you and I can understand who were the kinds of people that was living in this city. They rebelled against the Lord. They were wicked people. They were full of idol worship. But you know the city of Nineveh was known or was famous for one important thing. For the way in which they tortured their enemies. The way in which they tortured their enemies. You know history teaches you that when the Ninevites would attack a city, they would kill everybody. They would cut their bodies open. They would smear the blood of those people on the walls of the city. That's why when you read the book of Nahum, he says, Oh Nineveh, the city full of blood. They would take the heads of those people that they capture, behead them, put them on stalks and put it out there outside the city gates. It was a warning to the neighboring countries that if we attack you, this is what we are going to do. That was how horrible that city of Nineveh actually was. Now can you imagine why Jonah was hesitant to go to a place like that? He wasn't sure if he was going to come back alive. Not only that, he knew how they were, what they were going to do. In fact, he did not want God to help them. You know, there are two Old Testament prophets that visited the city of Nineveh. First of all, Jonah, who went and he preached the gospel to the city. They repented and they came to the Lord. Many, many years later, they forgot and they went back into their wicked ways. God sent Nahum. And when God sent Nahum to the same city, the city of Nineveh, they did not repent. And God finally destroyed them. He finally destroyed them. Such a great tragedy of a great city. Now we looked at Jonah chapter 4. And when you read Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1, can you tell me what is the first verse that first word that appears in your Bible? It says, but a big contrast. You see a lot of contrast in this book. Imagine, right? What's happening in chapter 1, what's happening in chapter 2, what's happening in chapter 3, and then chapter 4 verse 1 it says, but a huge contrast. This book is actually a, a book of absolute contrast. Chapter 1, God is telling God, uh, God is telling Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh. In the same chapter, it's a contrast. He's actually running away from the city of Nineveh. In chapter 2, Jonah is inside the belly of the whale and he's saying, Lord, please save my life. And in chapter 4 that we read right now, he says, Lord, please take away my life. Not once does he say it, not twice does he say it, but he says it three times. Contrast. You know, in chapter 3, the Lord turns away from his anger and he has compassion on the city of Nineveh. Chapter 4, Jonah becomes angry at God for having compassion on the people of Nineveh. In chapter 1, Jonah says, I want to be saved from calamity. And in Jonah chapter 4, he does not want the Ninevites to be saved from captivity. It's a complete book of contrast. And many a times, this is how your and my life actually is. You know, Jonah is actually a picture of the people of Israel. And God is actually telling Jonah, God is actually telling Israel, you should learn to love people that come into your life. You should learn to be happy in your situation, in your surroundings. Jonah was a picture of the people of Israel. But I want to broaden that picture. If Jonah is not only a picture of Israel, he is a picture of you and me as born again believers in this world. Isn't it true? When we look at everything that God has done for us, there is always a but in our sentence. When we look at all the goodness that God has done for us, all that 
we enjoy, all that we go through, all the situations, our surroundings, we always manage to point a finger at God and say, but. It's because we think that our, we wish that our life would be a little more different. So from Jonah chapter 4, I want to share three simple things with you. Three things concerning life. And I want you to listen very carefully to me. Number one, in life, let the Lord have His way. Number one, in life, let the Lord have His way. You see, in Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, but Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. He was angry at the Lord. He was angry because he knew that God would not destroy the city of Nineveh. Even though that is not he wanted for that city. You know, when you look at Jonah chapter 3 and verse 9, you look at what he says, Jonah says, chapter 3 and verse 9, Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You look at what Jonah actually says here. He's hoping for destruction. He's hoping. He says, who knows? Maybe this might happen. Maybe this might not. But deep down in his heart, he wanted the city to be destroyed. He was displeased and his heart was full of displeasure. When something did not go the way Jonah wanted it to go, when it happened the way the Lord wanted it to go, he was very displeased. Let the Lord have his way. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you from the word that in your life you will also go through disappointments in life. You will go through displeasures. If you count in your fingers, there are so many things that you can be disappointed with your life. But I want to encourage you, in your life, let the Lord have His way. It might be your job. It might be your family situation. Whatever disappointments you are going through, it is okay. Let the Lord have His way in your life. You might not be happy about your situation. You might not be happy about your surroundings, about what you are actually going through. But I want to encourage you, let the Lord have His way. I remember in the Gospels, in Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, I remember Jesus Christ telling Peter God's plan, God's great plan in which Jesus is supposed to go to the cross and he's supposed to die. And what does Peter do? Peter says, that is not according to my plan. And he takes Jesus to the side and he's trying to instruct Jesus. Jesus, you can't die. You can't do this. He was displeased. And he let the Lord know that he was displeased. But the Lord let him know what his way actually was. He looked at Peter and he said, Peter, you get behind me because you are a stumbling block for what God wants to fulfill in my life. My friends, I want to encourage all of us. I'm sure that all of us might be going through a lot of disappointments in life. But in your life, let the Lord have His way. Even though there are disappointments, even though you can be angry, even though you have a lot of displeasure, let Him have His way in your life. Secondly, not only let Him have His way in your life when there are displeasures, but always remember the character of God. Always remember the character of God. When you are going through disappointments, when you are going through moments of sadness, stay still, be quiet, and remember the character of God. Because I assure you, God's character is much more different than what you are going through right now. And the best part about His character, His character never, ever changes. 
What does Jonah say here in chapter 4? He prayed to the Lord, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish because I know that you are a gracious, I know that you are a compassionate God. I know that you are slow to anger and you are abounding in love. I know you are a God who relents from sending calamity. Remember the character of God. Remember the character of God who is so gracious. A God who is so compassionate. The same verse is found in the book of Psalms, chapter 86, verse 15. He is a God who is slow to getting angry. He abounds in love. When Bejitan was standing here and sharing from God's word, he was so truly stating what your and my position actually was. Right? Imagine... If the glory of God was actually present here. And imagine if the glory of God would burn all evil thought, all evil motive, all evil attitude. And imagine if that was the same attitude that we have as we sat in God's presence today. But did that happen to us? No. Why? Because He is gracious. Because He is compassionate. Because He is slow in getting angry. Brothers and sisters, I want to be of, I want to share this as an encouragement to us. Probably your situation might not change. Probably God is allowing you to go through this particular situation that you're going through. But I can promise you, God's character during that situation will never, ever change. He will always be gracious. He will always be compassionate. He will always be slow in getting angry, but abounding in, in love. So amazing, so gracious. You know, there's one important verse that you see here, what Jonah says in, chap- in verse 2. He says, verse 2, the last part, a God who relents from sending calamity. Can you imagine? He's a God who relents in selling, sending calamity. He's not a God who's so quick to destroy people. No! He's not a God who's so quick to bring disaster. He's someone who relents. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that his, what his heartbeat is like? He is not somebody who looks at you just like how I would look at you and you would not say, your life is not in order, I want to punish you right now. No, he relents from sending calamity. He relents when he sees unbelievers still living in darkness. He relents when he knows that you are struggling, that you have fallen, that you are committing sin. He relents because he loves you. He is gracious and he is compassionate. I just want to read one more verse that makes us understand this. Can you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some would understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I've heard of a speaker who was saying, You know the, why the Lord is staring? You know why the Lord is taking time to come? Because there are so many more who are yet to be added to His kingdom. And isn't that so true? Isn't that so true? You know, you and me might not be bothered, but there is a God who is compassionate. There is a God who looks at this wicked world. There is a God who knows that there are people still living in darkness. And He is relenting. He is patiently waiting. There it says, He does not desire anybody to go to destruction. But His desire is that everybody would repent. Isn't it true that sometimes when we drive our cars in the city of Bangalore and when somebody cuts us off, isn't it true that we have so much of anger towards them? Sometimes we also feel like Jonah, right? That I hope the mercy of God will not come upon this person. I've thought like that. 
Sometimes we wish ill about that person when he cuts us off. When when we are standing in line and somebody takes our line and you know you can't fight or create a scene. Don't we behave like Jonah? I know you are compassionate and gracious but I hope that that compassion and grace will not go to this particular person. But God is not like us. Praise the Lord. He relents to sin calamity. He is compassionate, abounding in love. So in life, let the Lord have His way. There will be displeasures in your life, but let the Lord have His way. Always remember His character when you allow the Lord to have His way. And thirdly, I want to say from this first passage, persevere, never, ever give up. Persevere, never, ever give up. My friends, my brothers and sisters, in your life, let the Lord have His way. There will be a lot of displeasures in your life, but let the Lord have His way. Always remember His character. Number three, persevere, never, ever give up. You look at what Jonah says here in verse 3, chapter 4. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, three times Jonah prays this prayer. Let me tell you something. I don't think that this is something that a believer should actually be saying. Let the Lord take my life. There is absolutely no use in my life. There is nothing that I can do if I live. So take away my life. Do you know Elijah also prayed the same thing? In 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 4. Because he was scared of one man and one woman. And because he was scared of one man and one woman, he goes to a mountain. And in the mountain he says, Lord, I no longer want to live. I want you to take my life away. Brothers and sisters, that is not something that you and I should actually be saying. Take my life away. No. We should not say things like this. Like Jonah, we should not reach to the end of the end of our life, end of our rope and say, absolutely no hope for me. I feel so worthless in my life that I wish that you would take my life away. No. This is not a prayer that you and I can actually pray. Can somebody please read for me Philippians chapter 1. And verse 6. It's a very well known verse that we know very well. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. <coughs> okay. <coughs> he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Therefore, no matter what you go through in your life, do not give up. Persevere in your situation, in your workplace. Under that boss, in your relationship with your spouse, in your relationship with your children, in, in, in whatever you might go through, in your studies, in your behavior with your parents, no matter what, persevere. Never, ever give up. Because he who began a good work will you promises to bring it to completion. You know what that good work is? That work, good work is salvation. You have a doubt? Take a minute and look at this table. Remind yourself of this body that was broken, blood that was shed, the cross on which salvation began the good work. And he who began this good work will bring it to completion. Was that not the song that we just so aptly sang before the message? Because he lives, I can face. Come on guys, louder. Because he lives, all my fear is. Because I know that he holds my and life is worth the living because... He lives. Because our Savior, He lives. You know, there's this uh, <clears throat> gospel songwriter by the name of John Melvin Henson. He was a very well-known 
gospel song writer and one of the songs that he writes best conveys this message that I'm trying to say. He says, let the Lord have his way in your life every day. There's no rest. There's no peace until the Lord has his way. Place your life in his hand. Rest secure in his plan. Let the Lord, let the Lord have his way. My brothers and sisters, whatever it is that you are going through right now, I want to request you, I want to encourage you. Let the Lord have his way in your life. In your life, let the Lord be the one who has his way in your life. Can you turn with me to Jonah chapter 4 and can somebody read verse 5 for me? Jonah chapter 4 and verse 5. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 5. So can you imagine how stubborn Jonah is? Just a while back, doesn't Jonah says, I know that you are gracious. I know that you are compassionate. I know that you will turn away from wrath. Doesn't he know that God will not punish? And what does he do here? He still goes. He still sits outside the city and he's waiting. I suppose maybe God would still change his mind. Isn't it so funny? Jonah knows God will not do it. But deep down he's still waiting to see what would actually happen to this city. And secondly I want to share with you. In life, care more for God's interests. Number one, in life, let the Lord have his way. Number two, in life, care more for God's interest. When you look at Jonah's life, you clearly understand that Jonah's interest is not the same interest that God actually has. Basically, he's struggling with the sin of self-interest. He's struggling with the sin of self-interest. He's not bothered about himself. He's not bothered about, uh, he's not bothered about the city. He's much more concerned about himself. He was the guy who was crying and wailing, Lord, save me from the stomach of this whale. And then he is not bothered whether what is going to happen to the city. Who is living in that city and what are they going to do? He is suffering with the sin of self-interest. You know, when you read the second passage, we know what God did. There was a, a heat wave that came there and God quickly raised up a wine that grew and gave him shade over his head. But when it quickly withered, he became angry again. The sin of self-interest. Brothers and sisters, in life, care more for God's interest than ours. Care more for God's interest than ours. Can we all say together, we know this very well-known verse, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, Seek ye first the, the kingdom of God and His. And then all these little petty things that we are worried about will be added to you seek the kingdom of God first. Actually, that was the reason why God sent him there, right? That was what God was supposed to see through the life of Jonah. But he was bothered much more about his own interest. And isn't it true that in our own Christian lives, we think of the same exact same things? We are much more concerned about our own interest, our own needs, what you and I go through. We are not very much concerned about somebody else. We are not very much bothered about somebody else. We are not bothered about if somebody else is struggling, if I need to visit with someone else, if I need to put my input, if I need to be actively involved, if I need to give my strength. No, as long as I am fine, everything is okay. The sin of self-interest. Number two, number your days. Number your days. You know, we have no absolute idea how long we are going to be on the face of this world. What are we doing with our life? 
What are we doing with our life? Maybe God has not called you into ministry, but God has placed you in that office. But are you fulfilling God's will for you in that office? Number your days. You remember Moses prays like this in Psalm 90 verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, enable me to treat every single day like as if it was my last. If God comes today right after worship is done, brothers and sisters, how many of us can confidently raise our hand and say, I know that I have done all that God has asked me to do. How many of us can boldly say that? For whatever reasons that God has placed you in this world. Number our days. Number our days. Number three, make good use of every opportunity. Make good use of every opportunity. Whatever it is that you are doing, make good use of every opportunity to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we just read one verse? Can somebody read the book of Galatians chapter 5 verses 15 and 16? Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 and 16. Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 and 16. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Oh, so I'm very sorry. It is Ephesians chapter five, verse fifteen. Sorry, Ephesians chapter five and verse fifteen. Just want you to read the first line. Ephesians chapter five and verse fifteen. Okay. Uh huh. But as wise, okay. Next line. Okay. Because we know that the days are evil. Brothers and sisters, make use of every opportunity. Because if you do not make use of every opportunity, we are living as unwise people. We are fools. We are people who have no hope, no desire, no goal in life. And he says, make use of every opportunity because we know that the days are evil. When you keep this in mind, then when you read Ephesians chapter 6, he says, put on the old armor of God because we know that the days are evil. Make use of every opportunity. Can you imagine Jonah standing in front of this great city of Nineveh, sent there by God for one purpose, and he is actually wasting his time. He is by the city. He is waiting to see destruction. He is arguing with God about a wine that's grown and a wine that has withered away. He does not realize that his life is like the wine. At one time it's there and another time it goes away. In our life, let us care more for God's interest, not for our own. So quickly, number one, in your life, let the Lord have His way. Number two, in your life, care more for God's interest. Number three, and quickly, in your life, fulfill your final goal. Fulfill your final goal. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 10 and 11. What does God say there? He says, you have the, you think you have the right to be concerned about a wine, but don't you know that in this great city of Nineveh, there is one lakh twenty 
thousand people there are men there are women there are children and what does the bible say they don't even know their right hand from their left is it that those those people don't know their right hand from their left he's basically talking about their spiritual condition he's talking about their moral condition don't you know that those people are living in wickedness and in darkness and how is it that your heart does not beat for people who are lost in life have a final goal 1 lakh 20000 people doesn't your heart beat for those people who are lost they don't even know the right from their left immoral spiritually declined people living in darkness what is the ultimate goal of your life what is it that god has asked you to fulfill what is the one purpose that he wants you to fulfill in your life what is it you know this book ends with a question because it's like a tight slap on jonah's face jonah does not answer this question because he knows what he did was wrong and he knows what the ultimate answer is what is our ultimate goal in life brothers and sisters can i just read one passage can you turn with me to the book of numbers chapter 25 sorry um Turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter twenty-four. The book of Joshua, chapter twenty-four, and I just want to pinpoint three people who came to the end of their lives. And you see what the scripture notes here: the book of Joshua, chapter twenty-four, and verse twenty-nine. Joshua, chapter twenty-four, and verse twenty-nine. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred and ten. Then you see that Joshua came to the end of his life in this book. and when he came to the end of his life the bible records and calls him as a servant of the lord wasn't he an army general yes yes wasn't he the leader of the people of israel after moses yes but when he came to the end of his life he saw it fitting to be called a servant of the lord interesting that was his life goal we know that that was his goal because in the same chapter he tells the people of israel decide for this day whom you will follow whom you will serve whether it be the gods of that river but whatever you decide does not matter because for me as for me and my household we will serve the lord that was his final goal in his life to be known as the servant of the lord number 2 you look at the same chapter and verse 32 and joseph's bones which the israelites had brought up from egypt were buried at shechem not only do we see joshua but we see joseph who died you what was the goal of joseph in his life he looked at his brothers he could have looked at his situation his circumstances he could have remembered his pit he could have remembered the prison he could have written a book he could have made a movie but what did he say He looked at his brothers and he said whatever you intended for evil God intended for for good I know that my life goal is to come here much before you so that I would make provision again for whom for the people of Egypt and also for the people of Israel He fulfilled his life's goal. And number three, it was it was thirty three, chapter twenty four, verse thirty three. Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Giba, which had been allotted to his son Phineas. You know who Eleazar was? You know who his son was? Phineas. 
you know in the book of numbers when the people of israel committed sexual immorality with the people of moab remember when a man was carrying a woman into his tent there was one man who took the spear went into the tent and he drove that spear through that man and through that woman you know who that was that was phineas eliezer's son my question where did phineas the son learn about the holiness of god from his father What is your goal in life? What is our goal in life? And as we see these final words of the book of Jonah, I want us to be encouraged of this important aspect today. In life, let the Lord have his way. There might be a lot of displeasures that we might go through. Always remember his character and never never give up. In your life, care more for the interest of God. Let us not go to the sin of self-interest but rather let us number our days and let us make good use of every opportunity that you and I go through. Number 3 in your life fulfill your final goal whatever it may be fulfill that final goal in your life. I love quoting this verse whenever I end a message because that best pictures what we always what we are talking about right now and if you know say it along with me when Paul came to the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4 7 and 8 he knew what his final goal was and he fulfilled it that's why he said it so say it along with me he says I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith now I know there is in store for me the crown of righteousness that god will give to all who long for his appearing we believe and we worship and we call on a god who is gracious compassionate slow in getting angry but abounding in love and if my brothers and sisters you have already accepted the lord jesus he wants you to know he wants you to know that he wants you to fulfill he wants you to let him have his way in your life and make use of best opportunities if you've never accepted the lord he wants you to know that he's compassionate that he is gracious that he is calling out that he relents from sending calamity so that you would make a decision to follow the lord can i ask everybody sitting here to close your eyes one minute and bow your head just take a minute to close your eyes and to bow your head not asking you to close your eyes for any other reason is so that you will not be distracted by anything for the next few minutes and as you close your eyes and as you bow your head can you think about your own life right now do you feel like jonah do you feel that you are running away from something do you feel that you are not doing what god is telling you to do would you let the lord have his way in your life there might be a lot of displeasure that you're going through a lot of hurt a lot of scar a lot of emotional battle would you let the lord have his way in your heart in your life would you make a decision right now that you would care more for the interests of god that you would not struggle with the sin of self interest but you would number your days and fulfill the time that god has given to you in your life would you right now make your decision what will your final goal be to my friends who are listening to this message for the very first time i want to invite you into a relationship with a god who is so merciful so gracious so compassionate who relents from sending calamity if you are sitting here and you're hearing and you're being convinced about the fact that god loves you so much and he's forgiven you would you open your heart and would you receive him shall we all just take a few seconds to pray whatever is there in our heart before the lord and then i will close in prayer
what a great god you are father what a what a compassionate merciful loving a god who is slow in getting angry abounding in love thank you that you are such a great god all that we can do is praise you glorify and honor your precious name thank you for this time with the word that we had lord we do not want to be like jonah we don't want to run away from you we want to run to you enable us lord to let you have your way in our life lord enable us to think more about your interest than my own and to 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 fulfill your goal in my life whatever it may be thank you lord we pray for the week ahead of us if you're coming tarries that you would enable us to live a life that is worth pleasing to you and we give you the praise the glory because there is no one else but you worthy to receive it we love you so much for who you are for what you've done for us thank you father for listening to our prayer in jesus christ most holy precious name we ask and we pray